I'd like for all those who are teachers to stand at this time for all those who are administrators in schools or preschools around the area. If you just please stand where you are. All of you who are Sunday school teachers, please stand where you are of our children especially. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these women and men who have taken on the mantle of teaching. I thank you for the opportunities that come to them where they are teaching in churches and schools, public or private, wherever they are helping to broaden the minds and the ability to think and to reason of the children and the youth they are in charge of. I pray, Lord, for their guidance, that their class might be an extended family with them as the parent, that they might see each child in their class as their own child for that part of the day, for this year. That they might be able in some small way, day after day, to not only teach the whole, but to care for each individual part. Not because it's part of their job, but because, oh God, you have given them the heart that loves children. I pray, Lord, that as they teach and as they communicate, that they will be overcome by the reckless love of God. That will shine through their words, their facial expressions, their tender moments of care and concern for each child who has been brought underneath them to learn and to be assisted in all the ways that they need in order to grow up and to become a mature person, a person able to think and decide for themselves. Father, they are a gift to the children and to the youth. They are a gift to the work of the kingdom and to the work of the Lord. Bless them in all that they do. Keep them healthy and strong. Do not let them be weighted down with the burden of those who are struggling, but rather give them that extra bit of love that they need in order to encourage each individual child to move forward as best they can. I ask this blessing upon them in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Made to Thrive is our topic. It's a blessing for us each week to hear the testimony from someone from within our church about a particular topic of, that has something to do with the idea of Made to Thrive. We've been making that statement so often and talking about it for, for a while now. We're going to continue for a few more weeks. And as we do, I'm sure some of you are beginning to have some of those questions that would arise of a topic such as this as we continue to talk about it, as you continue to hear testimonies from those who have had the experience of thriving with God. One of those questions might run something like this. If God made us to thrive, then why is there not more thriving going on in my own life and in those lives around me? And that's a good and honest question to ask ourselves, and I I know that sometimes each and every one of us feel like in some way we're struggling perhaps more than we would like in our own world in which we're a part. Sometimes we, we feel the weight of struggle because 
we're comparing our lives to the lives of others and thinking that somehow they should all look the same. But I believe that the truth of the matter is twofold. The reason that there's not as much thriving going on as perhaps could in the lives of most of us at, from one time to another is first of all because of obstacles. There are obstacles in the life that are a part of our lives that are barriers to the experience of thriving. Sometimes those obstacles occur in circumstances. And you say, well, what kind of circumstances are you talking about? I'm talking about the everyday circumstances of life that are individual and particular to each and every person. Let me point out something for you. What if you had been born into a family that lived in Syria? What if you had been born into a family that was teaching you principles of a, another religion, not Christianity? Of a different religion with a different picture of God, not Christianity. What if you were living in a country where the constant sounds of bombs going off or guns being fired were an everyday occurrence? And if when you walk down through the cities, you would see jagged holes in buildings where things had blown up in days past? What if going to the marketplace in the place where you lived, was an adventure not just exciting but frightening because you didn't know whom you would meet there. You see, circumstances are very different. We could have been born in the deepest part of the Congo to a family of 12 with the nearest medical clinic 50-mile walk away. We, circumstances are so different for all of God's children. They're different as they're spread around this world, and yet God has a concern and a reckless love, if you will, for each and every one of them. Perhaps we're living in an age where all those circumstances are more a part of our normal thinking than they've ever been before because of the transmission of ideas and cultures through the Internet and through the web and other such places. Our community, our world community has shrunk, and as it shrinks, it is ever much more aware to some who have so little that others have so much. Imagine trying to work with that within your own mind and to put yourself in their places. You see, there are obstacles to thriving. What if you just think about the obstacles in our lives that sometimes take the shape of persons, people, People can be an obstacle for us, can't they? People can raise us to think a certain way. People can treat us a certain way that's in a negative way, and it affects us for a long time afterwards. Youth are in schools, and they're bullied. Those people that are bullying them or having a, an effect upon their lives, they will struggle to purge from their life. And not only will they struggle with the people who are bullying them, but they'll also, at some point in their life, struggle with the idea that the other youth who were not bullying them allowed those bullies to bully them too. Circumstances can take the shape of events, proximity of birth, of where we were born. They can take the shape of people. 
They can also take the shape of circumstances in different ways. Some children have never known a day when they weren't hungry. They've never known a day where they went to school every day, and the biggest thought for them was not to leave their bag at home, but not to have a bag they could take with anything in it, including food. You see, there are obstacles to thriving all around us. Some of them are there because of inherited sin. We're an obstacle to ourselves, aren't we? You know, I used to like John Beckman. And the reason I liked John was because John had a sharp wit. I was serving on committees with John, and he always had a way of putting a funny spin on whatever we were talking about, especially after a long, uh, difficult conversation. He was a humorous guy. But then John did something that just makes it hard for me to continue to like him as much. And, and what he did was he lost about 40 pounds. <laughs> and, you know, he, he reminded me today that every day when he weighs, he watches to see whether the scale goes up or down. I do that too, John. <laughs> but he started watching when he really got to where he wanted to be. And he says, you know, it's a constant work. You see how we can be an obstacle to ourselves? Because we just don't want to do what we know we need to do. Well, sometimes we call that sin. Sometimes we call it just our own weaknesses. We make up a lot of names for it. And sometimes that sin that's an obstacle to all of us truly is a sin. Now, what John did in losing weight is not a sin. I don't think. I do like John still from a distance. But the reality is, inside of every one of us, there's that thing called original sin. Now, your struggle with sin and my struggle with sin are different because we're different humans. Some of it we have in commonality, and some of it is quite particular to the way I think and the way you think. Sometimes we think the way we've been, we think because of the way we've been taught, and it was not really of our own doing, but it's still something we have to deal with, the repercussions after it. That's we have, why we have the Jareds of the world to help us talk through the way we're thinking wrongly about life. Now, on the other side of this difficult to thrive is not just a question of what makes it hard to thrive, but the question of what helps us to thrive, and you'll be happy to know that that's where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. What, is, what are the th kind of things that help us to thrive? Because, you see, God just didn't just put us on earth, make us to thrive, and then leave us to our own our own tools and our own pathway, but rather he provided ways in which we can live that will help us to thrive, that will make thriving more possible. Remember, I said that others could be a problem. Well, others can also be an encouragement, right? Now, let's take, take old John. John was so nice this morning when he was, I was commenting again on his weight and his boyish look. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, Preacher, you ought to start doing what I did. He didn't say that. I like him better for that. But you know what? He, tr truth is, he is an encouragement to me to remind me that with a proper amount of discipline, yes, even I too, if I just would, could change my body shape, be healthier, live longer. 
In fact, that's one of the ways I try to tease myself into doing it. You say, well, what do you mean? I want to live longer than Sally. So, so that, see, that way I get to say, I told you so when I get to heaven and see her. I'll say, I told you so. And she's laughing because she knows there's not much chance of that <laughs> unless some weird circumstance happens. But the reality also is that other people can not only be obstacles for us, but they can be encouragement. I, wasn't, I was serious about having that, that tag, Bible tag on your backpack because when the youth go to school, if they go to a school where some of the other youth go, they are a part of this family that is going in that building. And it would be my expectation that if any one of you, which happens to be going to the school where another one is, finds themselves in difficulty, that the people who are carrying those tags would have more than a tag, but they would have not only a prayer for you, but that they would come to your aid. Whether that meant you needed help in studying, whether that meant you needed help with a bully, whether that meant you needed help getting along with the teacher, whether that meant you just needed a friend. Because the worst thing in the world is to be a Christian and have a fellowship and a family here, and when you go to school, adopt a family that takes the place of the family you have here. What a witness that is not. You see, if you're truly bound together here, you have to be bound together in school too, right? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work for church members as well, right? When you're bound together as a family, a family is one of those things that God has given us that helps us to thrive. And we're going to see a video that's about one of our families. It's about the Robinson family, about Corinne and, and Dante. It's their testimony we're going to hear today about how they've learned to thrive together. And it involves going on a mission trip as well. So let's hear that video now. I started playing baseball probably five, four or five. I mean, as soon as I could, I tried other sports, but you know, I was just didn't like them as much as baseball. As a single mom, I wanted him to have the chance to develop relationships with men, with other guys, to just hang out and be one of the boys. Um, I knew he got a lot of mothering, and so I figured he needed some time to be with the boys. So that was the reason I put him in baseball. But what I've gained from it is the connection that we have with it because I grew up loving the sport and now I get to pass that on to him. In baseball, you have to, like, to turn a double play, you have to know the person. You have to be able to trust them. And that goes for just being in a friendship with them. I mean, you have to know, like, so not only does playing baseball, you're not only teammates, but you become, it's like a little family. Besides the church, baseball is like my third home. Nikki, she had come and talked to us about Cambodia, and she was just so excited and so vibrant. It made me really want to do missions. I mean, I was little. <laughs> but anyways, and like so. four or five? Yeah, four or five, something like that. And so uh, she just really inspired me to wanting to do missions in fourth or third grade. Whenever I wanted to go to Germany, mm -hmm. I'd seen a flyer out there in the hallway, and I said, Oh, Mom, wait, what? It's baseball and God? And so those like the two things I just love the most. I asked her and asked her about it, and we prayed over it, and we waited a couple years. I thought he was too young for several years, and finally um, somebody else had a conversation, and they said, Corinne, why don't you indeed go to Germany? And I said, no, that's crazy. As a single mom for 12 years, money is tight and I didn't really think that we would be able to afford the trips. Um, 
I was really questioning when, when we started going. I really was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't have a lot of extra resources. Um, God has provided each and every way. And it's always been a different way. Um, it's always been unexpected. Um, one year, Dabney called me and said, hey, can you and Dante go to camp? And I was like, um, yeah, I have no budget for that. She said, money's not the issue. Can you go? Sure. Um, I've learned not to say no to God. We were just really encouraged by our church family to keep going. So we went the first year, and I thought, okay, well, we'll go one year, and that'll be great. And then God just keeps sending us back. Yeah. I mean, after the first year, it's like you build such a relationship with them there. I mean, it's only a week, but it feels like like you've known them for five years. Like, I mean, it just, it's a real family. Kids come back year after year, and they say, you know, I don't know what it is about camp. I don't know why, but I feel different here. And, of course, we know that's Jesus, and that's what we're trying to show them and, and share with them. I think going on a mission trip with your kids is probably the best gift that you can give to your family. You see your kids in a whole new light. You see them overcome struggles because even our best year, we had different difficulties. This kid's amazing when we're on the road um, most of the time. <laughs> um, he really has an ability to trust God and to just relax and follow. Um, we were in the airport in Atlanta and I was frustrated and I was done. I was probably not doing the best job negotiating with the people at the desk in, at Delta. And Dante put his hands on my shoulder and he said, Mom, relax, this is God's trip, he's got this. Your parents are your best friends. <laughs> um, wow, I like that. <laughs> I know they can get on your nerves sometimes, and they are my couple of best friends. <laughs> it's kind of like in baseball, you have to build a relationship, and traveling, you know, however many thousand miles on a cramped airplane with crying babies, you get to see sides of them that you wouldn't necessarily see here at home, and I'm just really thankful for that. He can encourage and build them up and teach them baseball and love of Jesus and everything else. I never would have thought I would have been going to Germany for the fourth time this year. I mean, that just blows my mind of how God works through people. And, um, and I'm just glad that, like I said, we're able to plant a seed and build relationships there. Dante described it as like having three families, one at home, the one at church, and the one at baseball. I think that's really apropos. By sharing about how he sees his mother differently after going on a mission trip with her and seeing how God worked through her and worked through all the people who were on that trip. You see, that this is the part about groups, family groups, wherever they may be. And they're not all created equal in the sense that our primary group, we hope, is our immediate family where we're living with them every day but it doesn't always work out that way for every youth does it doesn't always work out that way for every child and so we're going to come back to that but first of all let's let's turn to Paul for a minute I don't want you to think we read the scripture just uh, 
to fill up a part of the service. But rather, let's hear what Paul says in this, what is probably his last letter that he wrote. Uh, some, it's even been called by one person as his death letter. He knew he was dying. If you remember four, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, he'll say, I fought the good fight, I finished the course. Robert, you know the rest of that verse. Uh, he knew it was upon him. And so this letter is a very intimate letter that Paul writes to Timothy, his child in the faith. And pick this passage because I think it points to one of the things that, uh, that is very critical for us learning to thrive in our world, and that's to live within the systems of the family, where the family strengthens us. Now, there are all kinds of families, but let's think about what he said right here. He said, um, uh, I'm aware of the sincere faith that is in you. The same faith that was in, in your grandmother and in your mother and in you. Now, there's kind of a two-edged uh, side to that statement because we want to be careful. A grandmother can't have faith for the grandchild, and neither can a mother have faith for their child. Sooner or later, the child has to have their own faith, right? Another phrase that's tossed about sometimes is there are no grandchildren in God's kingdom. We're all children. You know, we all have our own relationship with God. Someone can't make a relationship for you. But what families can do is when they have a sincere faith in Jesus Christ and they live it out before the rest of their family, there is an excellent chance that when that faith is lived out and personified in a mother or a father or a grandparent, that that child has a much stronger possibility of coming to the faith in an easier and more appropriate way. And it's not just in that one family right there that makes a difference, but sometimes children actually bring themselves to church at the invitation of another youth. And their families are not believing families. So they don't have immediate example of how to emulate the faith of a family until they get into a church setting, into a Sunday school class, or into a youth group, where in that setting, they find another family that can fill in the gaps that their own birth family was not able to fill for them. I think sometimes that the church forgets that that is a constant reality and an opportunity that we have before us. It's the same thing as whenever we bring people onto our campus and, and welcome them in like they're one of us. And someone was telling me today, I'm not for sure if she had the right church in mind. I went to pick up uh, an addition to my breakfast that John would never eat. And the little lady hadn't gave me the thing. She said, well, you're all dressed up nice this morning. You must be on your way to church. I said, I am. And she said, yeah. I said, yeah, I am. And she said, uh, which church do you go to? And I said, First Methodist Carrollton. And she said, where's that? I said, that's down there on Hebron, down there uh, for where a lot of churches are. Uh, where gave her kind of she said, you know, I think I've been there for a funeral once where someone died and we went there. And she said, you know, people write online sometimes nice things about your church about how they take people in and they're humble and they, they don't judge people and they really accept people as guests in their church. I could have just gone home right then. I was, I was filled up, you know. I was glad to hear that from this lady. In fact, I said as I was leaving after that was over, I said, you know, we meet there every Sunday. We'd love to have you. Yeah, I know you work on most Sunday mornings, but we have some meetings at other times. You know, right down there, uh, and look us up and come, and come see us. We'd love to have you. And I left. But it seemed like almost 
a comment that was more than a comment from her. She was standing there, and then I was aware that probably this person might be sitting there, never been invited to someone's church, never feeling like she was a part of a family, a faith, never knowing what the Christian faith was really about, just that people went to church, because kind of that's the way the world divides people into. We like to think that they look at us as Christians or non-Christians, but sometimes they just look at you as people who go to church and people who don't. And they might separate that completely from whether you're a good person or not, which might surprise a lot of us. But in this setting, he points out to them that the faith was a part of his makeup and the importance that this kind of sincere faith he had learned from his grandmother and from his mother. Now, he goes on to say we don't have a faith that is motivated by fear, but rather one that is, what does he say? Power, not a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of a sound mind. And my friends, when our lives are characterized by those three things, then we are going to thrive. Now, when I say that, a spirit of power, confidence in God, a kind of trust and a certainty that God is with us, that God is so, so good as we sang this morning, that God wants what is good for us. Once we establish that kind of relationship with God, it causes us to live above and beyond our normal means because it pulls us toward a lifestyle that is not afraid of the world, but rather has confidence in the God who's with us, that there is a power that is greater than ourselves to assist us. But not just a form of power, but also a, a spirit of love. And I'll admit that lately there's a lot of challenge to the idea of love in our world. And we wonder, where is the next thing going to happen? The next conflict going to sprout up? The next sign of evil going to make its ugly face? And we wonder, how's it ever going to stop? Well, I think the only thing that has a possibility of stopping it, really, is for love to be taught to those people. True love from the true God, from who can teach them to have a different perspective about life. And that is part of the church's business, to be about spreading that true love. And it needs to come with a sound mind. We need people that understand the faith. I sometimes feel like we go to church sometimes out of habit. And that's not a, it's good to be motivated by habits when they're good habits. But really what we need to be coming for every time we come is to learn. And we learn by being in fellowship like a family too, don't we? We teach one another. And I want to just pause here and then I'm going to be finished. And I need to be finished. Families are the first place of influence with their children. You can't count on Sunday school class to train your children in how God thinks because they're not here in Sunday school but 45 to 50 minutes an hour once a week. You cannot count on youth group to make up for all the years that the children weren't taught how to think about God. And despite what many people say today, the Christian faith has a lot of content to it that is more important than people realize. It's not just as simple as believing in Jesus Christ without content. Content is a part of the belief. 
we can't just say we believe in the idea of love and in God and think all is well with us because it's not. We don't thrive in that environment. We thrive from having the content of our faith that directs our mind, that causes us to think rightly about others and about the decisions in our own lives, that causes us to weed out the idols in our life and to steer us down the good path. It's content, not just the idea of faith, but the content of the faith that makes Christianity different from other religions. We don't just, we don't teach our children that they can earn their way to heaven because they cannot. They need to know that. And we model that in our homes. I don't love my children because they grew up to be the kind of people I wanted them to be. I loved my children regardless of how they grew up to be. And I'm not throwing rocks at my girls. Oh, that reminds me. You know what today is? Sarah's birthday. You know how old Sarah is? You know how long it's been since we've sang birthday to my children in church? You know how mad my daughter's going to be now? But you know, that's okay. I need to do what's good for her, even though she doesn't like it. David, would you help lead us in uh, singing happy birthday to Sarah? Would you just day to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear sarah happy birthday to you now i know what you're thinking i didn't get happy birthday sung to me when it's my birthday but you haven't lived with it for all your life either that's just the way it goes, right? I thought about that last night, and I thought, yeah, it's been a long time since we did that. You know, a lot of the things you do in your life that you don't really do them as intentionally as you might are the things that your children remember. I don't really want my children to remember I was a pastor. I hope they remember that I loved God enough to do what God wanted me to do but I'm not responsible for doing anything but for teaching them why I do what I do. They have to make their own decision for themselves. And I think that if we continue to think about ourselves as family and continue to live as family, then what 2 Timothy talks about that Chiv read is true. He says that we are to become the people who pass on the traditions that we've learned. And he goes on to say it's not easy. He compared it to an athlete, to a soldier, and that's both true. Passing on the Christian faith is not an easy thing to do. We can't find time for it in much of our lives. We struggle with a time when we can get all of our family together and quiet so that we can talk about the faith. Sometimes we don't even have, feel like we have enough time to pray before we eat. You know what? None of that is true. You have enough time. You just have to get your priorities right. You have to think right. You have to take the time to explain to that six-year-old why you just made the decision you made in a way that the six-year-old can understand. You have to try to explain to your children why you follow Christ, not just because you go to church. No, that's just not good enough. That's not enough content. They grow up with a sound mind 
and have a best chance of becoming followers of Christ when you bring a personal view for them of what it looks like to be a Christian and one they can grasp and understand. You say, yeah, but pastor, I did that and my children didn't turn out to follow Christ. I know. But that doesn't mean you're not faithful. Our job as parents is to be faithful in passing on to our children what they need to hear. And it's their job at some point to choose to believe or not. My faithfulness as a father is not determined by how my children turn out, but rather how faithful I was to teach them what God instructed me to do. And it's the same thing in all areas of life, not just faith, but in all ways. So today is about that. Children are going to school. Maybe you'll have a chance to teach some of the neighborhood kids in your area as they come and play with your children because their parents aren't home yet. And they don't have a family feeling about them. But if you don't explain it to your kids, your children will grow up wondering what you really thought about the most important thing in the world, your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about making every middle sermon. I'm just talking about being real with your kids and with your youth. And telling them what you really believe and why. And if you say, well, pastor, I don't know if I know about what I believe to really tell them. Then you need to sign up for a Sunday school class and tell Miss Cindy that you need to start back at the beginning. And we need some more adult Sunday school classes in the church. And you need to be a part of that. And we'll make you one. Because that's the best way that we as a church can help people get to know God. Is by teaching them about God from the book about God. Thank you for being who you are and for the church you are. Because you see, when you love one another and care for one another, the world that does not have that kind of care and love watches, learns, and wants to be a part of what you have. And therein grows the kingdom of God, person by person, 